Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, where our job is to help you build visibility, professional credibility, and connection with your ideal client by putting the human at the center of innovative marketing so you can build and strengthen an engaging, enduring relationship with your ideal clients. I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm honored that you're here with me. If you haven't yet joined our wonderful Flyworld Nation community, go to flyworldnation.com and join in the podcast conversations. Do subscribe to the show and also leave a review because it helps others find us. Let's get into today's masterclass on this InnovaBuzz podcast. My biggest tip is, and so few people do it, you need to, as I say, get out in the wild. There's a a famous saying called Nahito, and it means nothing important happens in the office. But the amount of big clients I see, and I say, when was the last time you met a customer? And if it's someone in the C-suite, they say, you mean an end consumer? I don't have time. And I'm like, you should be meeting them every week, right? Mm -hmm. You should be out there. It sounds common sense, but it's not common practice. Set yourself as a minimum monthly doing some customer observations, whether that's going in a shop along or whether it's watching somebody use your product or one that hardly anyone does. And I can't tell you how valuable this was. Mystery shop. Welcome back. I hope your week's been just awesome so far. I'm really excited to have on the Innova Buzz podcast as my guest today, Colin Duff. Colin is CEO of Mosaic Innovation, a consultancy that helps leading enterprises like HP, Marriott and BT to crack their toughest growth challenges, build capability and transform their culture. From vodka to Viagra and pensions to prisons, He's led dozens of innovation projects across a wide range of sectors and geographies. He's also trained and coached hundreds of growth practitioners and is a regular speaker and commentator on all things innovation. Now, a word from Flywheel Nation, our sponsor. You're doing great in business because that's why you're here. Now, sometimes you might feel like you're missing out on a game-changing connection or insight. Supercharge your success with Flywell Nation. Tap into the collective wisdom of our high-impact achievers. Gain exclusive access to resources and expand your network in our vibrant community. You'll experience accelerated growth, breakthrough insights and powerful connections that will elevate your business. Act now to secure your spot and transform your journey today. Go to innovabiz.co forward slash flywheel to join. In our conversation, Colin shares his wealth of knowledge on generating breakthrough ideas, uncovering valuable insights and connecting with customers. Here are some key points that we discussed. Challenge the norms. Embrace human-centered innovation. And go beyond market research. 
Get ready to embark on a captivating journey of innovation as Colin unveils the secrets to breaking through barriers, sparking game-changing insights, and creating meaningful connections with customers. Without further ado then, let's fly into the hive and get the buzz from Colin Duff. Hi, I'm your host, Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz, and I'm really excited today to welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, all the way from London in the UK, Colin Duff, the CEO of Mosaic Innovation, a consultancy that helps leading enterprises to crack their toughest challenges, build capability and transform their culture. So I'm really looking forward to digging into all of those things with Colin today. Welcome to the InnovaBuzz podcast, Colin. It's a great privilege to have a chat with you. Yeah, delighted to be here, Jürgen, uh, all the way from London. And as your listeners may detect, if they uh, listen closely, <laughs> my accent is originally Scottish, just in case they're trying to place it. Yes, it's um, uh, had me a little bit stumped at the beginning. I thought, oh, I was expecting a different uh, accent. There we go. Now, you help ambitious brands develop breakthrough innovation and also build the internal capability to kind of take that um, culture forward, if you like. Oh, you do talk about culture. And as I say, I'm, I'm really looking forward to digging into that, having that conversation today. Before we do that, what's the impact you're making in the world today, Colin? Do you know, it's, it's, um, I answer that in two ways. I think the thing that gives me my purpose and get out of bed in the morning is the impact it has on our, the, the people in our client organizations. I think some people are really lucky to work with charities or doing something very noble. Sometimes when we're creating a new deodorant or improving the print experience for a big client, it's hard to see that as world changing, but for the clients involved, it really can rock their world in terms of getting them promoted, making their uh, job more fun, or even just fixing things like those little annoyances we all have with everyday objects. So sometimes we're inventing the new iPhone and that kind of innovation, but a lot of the time we are just doing some sometimes a bit more mundane. So it's bringing, um, yeah, bringing a bit of magic to, to people's everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you touched on something there that I find quite fascinating and, and looking at your background, you do make mention of this and, and I think you've you've got a book coming up that has the similar titles, which is Finding Insights in in kind of mundane, seemingly mundane things, mundane to an outsider perhaps. Um, and you talked about, well, developing the next iPhone, which uh, many people perhaps find quite exciting, whereas um, changing a deodorant to, to make it um, different and stand out maybe is a little bit less exciting. So talk to us a little bit about this concept of finding insight in, in seemingly mundane and mature things that that people might believe everything's already been done and tried out. How do you go about yeah, that? So we, we call it innovation insight. And, you know, when you talk about innovation, people, it's synonymous with new ideas. So most of the literature in people's focus has been how to generate better ideas. So people are running there. They're really good at brainstorming. We often get brought in and say, how do we improve? And we look and say, you're actually doing everything right. Most breakthrough ideas actually come from a novel insight, something that unlocks what we call an aha moment. And probably easiest just to give you an example of what mm -hmm. I mean. 
So uh, there's a fun, famous one. I'll, I'll test you and see if you can guess it. So when Pampers, which the, the nappies or diapers, if you're a US listener, launched in China years back, they weren't selling. So this is quite a premium product. And they tried every marketing tactic under the sun, the celebrity endorsement, sales promotion, sampling. Nothing could convince these Chinese consumers to spend more on these nappies. And they did some innovation insight and were speaking with a mother and who was a user of Pampers. And they said, oh, is, you know, how's it going? And she made this really fun quip. She said, well, since we started using it, my husband and I are having more sex. Now, <laughs> you probably just look and laugh and say, okay, well, keep yeah. it clean, right? We're, we're, we're doing a business thing. I'm going to put you on the spot, Jurgen. So it's nappies, so our diapers. And this lady's talking about having more sex with her husband. What is the insight or might be the insight that was the breakthrough? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a fascinating one. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe it's the child is, um, the child is more not sleeping more or, you know, not, not yeah. screaming in the night. You, you're on to, you, yeah. you got it. Well, well done. So they, they, they dug in and said, well, what do you mean? And she said, well, it just seems to be getting to bed a bit earlier. And Armed with that insight, they were able to do some research and Pampers did indeed, the typical baby fell asleep a little bit quicker and they put it into R&D, put a new formulation and then repositioned it and said, it's worth every penny. You know, if there are any parent out there, you'd happily pay a huge premium to get 20 more minutes a night. And that's a kind of micro simplistic example of what I mean by innovation insight. Something that can turn, sometimes like you say, a commodified mundane thing on its head. And there's a series of techniques where anyone can find these innovation insights. You don't need to be a professional researcher. You can be an entrepreneur that doesn't have any budget. You can be in a non-traditional innovation role. So whether that be human resources, procurement, etc. And that's what I wanted to talk about today. What are some of these techniques? How do yeah. you do them? And maybe share a few fun stories um, along the way from, from my career and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. What, what I really like about the story and i guess this probably underpins a lot of this these techniques i imagine is really understanding what's the value to the user and and getting to that value and not making the assumption that oh it's just um convenience um you don't have to wash cloth nappies and you don't have you have less mess or whatever it, um, the the primary value proposition that the design of the product um, is based on it's understanding what's the actual value to the individual user the, the worst way to innovate right is to get into this kind of an arms race on the features which is what most people do so you'll make it slightly faster or, you know, you think of the smartphones when they come out, they need two megapixel, they need three, they need four. It quickly becomes commodified. The much better ways to think more broadly around, to your point, some of the customer experience elements, what are some of the less obvious business model things, you know, around whether that be the price or, or the processes, et cetera. And that's where these techniques can really help. Getting you beyond the obvious could be another title for the innovation insight. And I just make one distinction is some people, when I talk about this, say, oh, do you mean market research? 
And absolutely not. So market research is things like focus groups, it's interviews, it's, um, you know, surveys. Now they're great if you have an idea and you want to find out is it good or bad to give you a, a directional signal. Or if you want to do something like tracking, um, customer satisfaction, they really suck at inspiring innovation because nine out of 10, if not 19 out of 100, they tell you what you already know. And great innovation insights, like the Pampers example I talked to you about, they're more like stories than statistics. It's more about the depth than the breadth. So sometimes when I introduce this techniques, particularly to people with quantitative backgrounds or things like financial services, they say, well, hold, hold on, what's the value in doing a thing with a few customers or users? We talk to thousands. And I say, yeah, but it's not about getting thousands of data points. It's getting the few correct ones. Um, so John Scully, who was the CEO of Apple before, he once said that no great market decision has ever been made using quantitative data, which I thought was quite a nice, um, a nice quote to it. Um, yeah. the, the other one, a lot of people sometimes are doubtful and say, oh, qualitative, you know, some of the things I'll talk about observing and speaking with people. Do you really need that in the age of artificial intelligence and digital? And I think it's really interesting. Guess who the biggest employer of ethnographers are? So ethnographers are these people that, you know, the, the social scientists that go in and study how people behave. And any ideas who the biggest employer in the world is? It's probably Microsoft or somebody like that or. Yeah, no, it's exactly. So Microsoft, these guys that are all about robust data and yeah, tracking, yeah. They, they understand the power more than anyone. So it's, yeah, I think it's really interesting. Well, one one of the things you mentioned, um, market research and market research. I mean, I, I think it's valuable. It, but it comes with inbuilt bias, right? Because there's a set of targeted questions that you ask everybody. And, um, I know I've, I've participated. In fact, I, I was contacted a lot, um, probably uh, in the, in a period about a year to six months ago. And in hindsight, I realize now it was about um, all these generative language models because I'd been using some of these AI tools before ChatGPT came on the scene and before Bard came on the scene. And I was um, an active user. I was also a beta tester for a lot of the software. And all of a sudden, I started getting all these requests for, and it was, they were paid surveys as well. And it was quite interesting to be on the kind of consumer end of that and, and give my input because after having done about five of those, I realized, you know, they were asking the same questions. Every survey was the same questions. I didn't know who the clients were, obviously, they, they were, um, that was, confidential information, but it was a different agency each time. And they're asking the same questions. And even when they got to the point of, is there anything else you'd like to add? They didn't really prompt me on anything specific. It was kind of like whatever's top of mind right now. And I thought, well, how do they use that information? Because it's almost random at that point. And so there's a specific bias, isn't there, in terms of what questions they ask, how they design, the what they're looking for. And yet the other approach, what you're talking about, is just having a chat to me, how are you using these things? And then depending on what I'm answering, 
say, oh, tell me more about that. I'm really intrigued to find out why you think that way or why you're using it that way. You, you know, we, we specialise specifically in this innovation insight and I've been doing it for 20 years. And for the last 15 years, I've never been in a research setting in terms of, you know, the looking behind the mirror. I did this at the start of my career and never really got why it didn't work. It was just so sterile. And, you know, my top technique, right, it's a bit like if you want to learn about animals, going to the zoo, yeah, it's interesting, you'll see stuff. But imagine going out in the wild, you'll get 10x, if not 100x more, right? And that's it, is it's really important to observe people doing real things. So I'll give you like a really simple example. Years ago, Honda, who make the generators, you know, when you go camping hmm. um, or you're out and about to, to provide power, they said, we want to innovate and we probably want an app. It was at that time when the solution was the app, but nobody yeah, quite yeah. knew the problem. So he said, oh, great, right, we'll, we'll go and do some of this innovation insight stuff. And I remember the first day I met this lady and she had a candy floss stand at fairground. So I had accompanied her and heft in the generator into the car. She takes it out. It was in the middle of English summer, which meant it was raining. Right. So, and she's got to lug this huge big machine over this sodden grass and it's sticking in and getting caught. And I said to her, like, why did you not buy one with better wheels? The wheels are so small. And she said, oh, they didn't have any. And I thought, well, that's quite odd. I'll go to the store myself. And true enough, it wasn't just this store. All of the generators had these little tiny wheels. And no one had ever thought, because when you're in a focus group, it's, it's not always front of mind. Yeah. But seeing it, that was the big innovation. Firstly, make them bigger. And secondly, make them motorized for these small generators. And that spiked sales more than any of the other you know, cooler, sexier app, mm. all that stuff. And I could give you dozens and dozens of these examples. And it's really important if you want to do this innovation insight, you need to go along people when they're thinking about purchasing, when they're using a product, and even after it as well, or renewal. Um, I'll give you one other quick short story, if you don't mind. Um, we were doing a project for a company that makes canned fish, about as unglamorous as it gets, right? How are you going to innovate? And they said, look, it's probably going to be a bunch of new flavors, and maybe there's going to be some new formats, right? Different types of fish. Great. So I went along and um, said to this lady, can you make me lunch using the product? She makes lunch, completely uneventful, right? Fish is lovely. Do you have any ideas? I'm interviewing her as well. How could we improve this? Oh, I don't know. Have more flavors, make it bigger, make it cheaper. So I said to her, um, after the, the lunch, she goes over to the sink and starts scrubbing her hands really furiously. And she's got these lovely painted nails. And I'm like, what are you doing? She says, oh, we're trying to get rid of that horrible fishy smell, right? <laughs> and the big innovation for them was, could you drain the tuna before it goes in the can? And that's what they did. And they got a sales uplift of like 25% from draining it, right? So not what they expect. And I, I know some of these are a lot of consumer goods, but we've done this in printing and so often. So my biggest tip is, and so few people do it, you need to, as I say, get out in the wild. Um, mm. There's a, a famous saying called mojito, and it means nothing important happens in the office. Yeah. But the amount of big clients I see, and I say, when was the last time you met a customer? And if it's someone in the C-suite, they say, you mean an end consumer? Like, I, I don't have time. And I'm like, you should be meeting them every week, right? Mm. If you, you know, like, you should be out there. So it's, it sounds common sense, but it's not common practice. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And one of the things I 
always find fascinating and uh, I mean this is particularly prevalent when you find yourself or when I find myself in a position of needing support from a company or or needing to lodge a complaint with a company or needing to ask questions to get support and I find it so difficult and I always wonder has this been designed to be so difficult? Because sometimes I have this feeling like somebody really went out of their way to design this to make it difficult. Or oh. is it just a case of that whoever whoever was responsible for the design of this thing and, and the maintenance of this thing has never actually used it themselves? So to me, that's kind of the first step is actually use your product, use your service. Um, and And then obviously from your own experience also go and talk to to actual users that are doing it not not just for research but uh, uh, real users and find oh, you, out you are the biggest bait of my life as well cable companies airlines and these other terrible generally service people and you know one of the mistakes they make their business model means their margins are slim so they're trying to minimize costs hmm. so they'll do things like we're going to direct everyone online now the better way to do it is to think about it contextually. So if I'm a traveller and I've got a small problem with a bill, probably waiting 24, 40 hours is not the end of the world, albeit not great. If I'm arriving at a hotel, and this has happened to me personally, and I cannot phone the online travel agent and they do not have my reservation and I'm off a 12-hour flight, I am going absolutely ballistic, right? And the fact they cannot see the difference between those two contexts. So that's one thing we always do as well is, do not ask people silly questions like, mm. what is your channel preference? I mean, it depends would be the thoughtful answer, but most people are happy with online, right? So, um, yeah, but, and I agree, there is a cynical cost-saving measure there as well going on often. Hmm. Well, I touched earlier on, on the generative language models and the tools that we have today, and, and you said something earlier that I thought... <clears throat> we're going back to that kind of culture again it's um, you know we've come through this there's an app for that time and now yeah. now there's actually I'm actually subscribed to a newsletter that's called this there's an AI for that <laughs> so I think it yeah. it kind of highlighted for me hey we're going into this culture now that you want to innovate build an AI for whatever it is that you serve now I guess the <clears throat> the idea, I mean, there's lots of tools around now that are being developed that are absolutely awesome. And they also give you the ability to kind of run thought experiments in a way. And to me, that's a valuable tool if applied correctly to innovation. But at the same time, there's also the risk there that you actually move away from what we've been talking about, which is talking to people who are actual users and digging deeper on those insights. So how do you see um, businesses making use of these new tools, but at the same time not um, not losing that human connection, if you like, uh, which is something I'm very passionate about, not losing touch with what are the users really seeing, what's their experience and and in context as well? Oh, it's a, it's a great question. Well, I think about it. If you think about the innovation process, it's quite simple. And we talk usually about design thinking, which means putting the, the 
viewers that are human mm-hmm. at the center of things. And in the early stage, <clears throat> be very expansive. And the more ideas, the better, right? There is a, um, a lot of science that shows you're much more likely to innovate from many ideas than fewer. That's why people like Edison had a thousand patents. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm not any better at ideation. I'm just more prolific. So if you can bring on these tools that are going to augment that process, fantastic. But if you're relying on even the smartest models, and we've seen it throughout history, most recently with some of the 2008 financial scandals, remember all those mortgage models that everyone was so um, certain of that would work and they went haywire? It's Mike Tyson said, you know, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. So you need to blend those thought experiments, which are great, with the kind of real world experiments and that in business called lean experimentation. And it's almost like I'd characterize the book smart versus the street smart, because in those thought experiments, the biggest mistake we see is people um, think of people behave very rationally. So like Mr. Spock from Star Trek, right? And it's all very logical. Most people are much more like Homer Simpson and you need to actually design them for them as impossible until you, you meet them. And I've got so many examples of where that's happened. I mean, I guess a simple one, I used to work in an energy company at the start of my career. Everyone will tell you they buy green energy because it's the right thing to do. No one would pay extra for it when it came to reality. Similarly, actually, for paying for elder care for their parents. In the UK, everyone would say they would. But actually, when it came to it, people were quite stingy on it. So there's all these, um, you only figure this out by, by doing uh, real experiments. And it's never been easier to run these real experiments. So you might have heard digitally, uh, we use the term smoke test. So we'll often, when a client has a great new idea they're certain about, we'll say to them, look, give us a few thousand. We'll do some social or online advertising, drive people to a web page, and just see how many people click on the button to find out more or to sign up. Now, sometimes that button doesn't even work. We call it a fake door. And when they click, we just say something like, oh, this isn't quite ready yet. Or, um, you know, give us your car details and we'll follow up with you. But very often, in fact, over half of those experiments, they, they never work. The product actually never gets built. So the greatest uncertainty in innovation is not can we build it. So historically, people think about technology. It's do people want it? And no thought experiment and no amount of Excel modeling can prove you know, how irrational people behave, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well that's a great example of of the lean lean startup principle in action, isn't it? It's um sort of test the idea first before you even build it. Yeah, and I, I love there's there's a great one, Zappos, which is a huge um, mm-hmm. the biggest um, shoe sales shoe selling site in the US now owned by Amazon. And what he started by doing back in I think the late nineties was thinking What's the biggest uncertainty about this business? And he's thinking, it's will people buy shoes online? Now, now it seems common sense, but remember, we didn't, you couldn't try them on. It's like, are they trustworthy? So he set up a website and for his fulfillment, he had no factory, no automation. When an order came through, he literally went to the shoe store, bought them, went to the post office and posted them because it wasn't about building a scale of business. It was about learning. Yeah. And that's in the early stages of innovation. The focus is in learning, yet when we work with clients, the question we always get asked a few weeks in, certainly a few months in, how many have you sold? You know, it's harder to say, but we've learned so much in these learning cycles. It sounds like an BS, frankly, for consultancies, but it is really important to invest that time in figuring things out 
iterating, pivoting, etc. Hmm. Yeah, well, the Zappos example is, is another really good one of understanding what is it that the clients are, are really looking for. So it wasn't about the shoe quality or the type of shoe or the experience they had with the shoe. It was about the context was the online sale and the key issue yeah. was what if they don't fit when I get them? Yeah, exactly. Which they solved by having this, um, you know, no questions asked return policy, I think, right? That was the, the big differentiator then. Yeah, so it was, it was free return, which meant people started ordering five pairs rather than one and actually mm -hmm. keeping a lot more than, than they would imagine and just legendary service. So they're a real masterclass in customer experience. And what they did, so many things they said to people after you joined, I think at the end of your first month, we're going to pay you a lot of something like $5,000 to leave. We're going to bribe you because we only want people that really, really want to be here, right? And that, you know, lots of things are done. Uh, all the executives started on the phone, so they experienced firsthand. Um, mm. I wish more companies would do that because <laughs> a lot of the executives I meet, I think it's been a long time since you've been in a shop floor or a long time since you've, you've met a customer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I mean, on that, you one of the one of the things that it raises with me people engage your services um, is there a risk of a business actually outsourcing the idea of innovation or this research if you want to call it that a research um, and and losing sight of what they're actually trying to achieve yeah, no, it's a great question, and I, 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 I couldn't agree more. So the traditional market research, the kind of commodified service and stuff, no, because it is just get out and you get the survey back. With this stuff, our approach is always client on team. So I'll literally be taking people with me side by side, usually just two of us, otherwise people get intimidated mm -hmm. when I go into people's homes or when we're observing them at work. And I'll ask for people at all levels. So sometimes you'll get the senior executive and they say, okay, we'll do the project and come back with the insights or recommendations. And we say, well, if you've not had a first-hand visceral experience, you're not going to connect with it in the same way. And the other big difference in doing great innovation insight, with traditional market research, you do all the insight and then you write the report and you say, this is the insight. With innovation insight, you bring all the interest in data points. So a data point, an example would be from Pampers, this lady saying, I'm having a lot more sex. And you collectively with the client in the room say, what do you think that means? And you might sometimes have different interpretations and that's good because what we're looking at now is not robustness. This is not quantitative market mm. sizing. We're looking for inspiration and that's where you get to, you know, you can agree, you can disagree, but we're looking for stuff that's going to lead to novel and new ideas. So that's the essence of Innovation Insight is come back and share lots of interesting anecdotes and stories. They might go nowhere, but they'll certainly trigger those interesting conversations. Hmm. Well, one of the things that brings up is the idea of here's some insights we've gathered. So let's say you, you take me out to talk to some of my customers. We learn some things. I learn some things, I come back to my organization and I say, here's some, here's some things we've learned, here's some ideas that I've got 
as a result of what I've learned from these conversations, um, how do I then bring other stakeholders on board, key decision makers that have to um, endorse me spending money on a new initiative or somebody that is in my team that has to change their thinking around delivering a service or a product or building a product. How do I engage all those stakeholders and bring them on board when uh, they perhaps haven't had the benefit of that experience? Yeah, it's a good question. Even although we um, try and get people along with us, they don't always come or sometimes, like you say, there are wider stakeholders. So a couple of tips for you is there is nothing better than video. I remember we were doing this big thing for a pension provider and we were warned in advance that the board hated their idea. They said, oh, this isn't really on strategy. It sounds a bit weird. And what we actually did is we filmed the consumers reacting to this idea. And we just, for the presentation, rather than any PowerPoint or slides, said, we're just going to play a 10-minute video. Just watch it. And then I just want you to think about your own life, your wife, you know, your children. What do you think they would say? And it, we, we got the... Oh, like, yeah, that does make, like, and we, we got this, like, and is there any questions? Oh, no, we should just do this, right? And we were able to turn around because video is inarguable. If I bring you slides or opinion, well, you were biased, you want to do it, you have vested interest. If I show you people, there's nothing better. The other thing I'd say is um, ideas in terms of post-it notes are quite cheap and often quite unimpressive. So if you can build a really simple prototype for people to react to, what I mean by a prototype, it might just be something as simple as a brochure, or it might be an outline of a kind of landing page or something else. It's giving people something to react to. It builds energy in the room. And we've done this, honestly, with even in categories you wouldn't imagine, like vodka, right? Where we've bought, you know, unusual shaped bottles and we've kind of got stuff imprinted that glued it on. So it can be really low fidelity, right? Because it's something tangible or digital that people can play around with because you want them, it changes the dynamic in the room from I want you to evaluate to actually I want you to kind of co-create and participate. So that'd be another <laughs> one. Um, and the final one as well, and I don't know why more people don't do this, is if they won't go to them, Mohammed won't go to the mountain, bring the mountain to Mohammed. So the amount of times I bring customers to the client and people are amazed as if it's this like foreign species. And I think, like, especially in the supermarket, like, I'm bringing in, it might not be my mum and my, my sister, but it's just people, right? And I'm like, yeah, I've got them outside. And people, oh my God, like, you know, you can meet them, you can talk to them. And they're always a lot more polite to um, customers than they are to the colleagues or to the consultants. So <laughs> that's another great trick. It brings out brilliant energy um, as yeah. well. So that would be my top three for that. Mm, yeah, there's some great suggestions there. And I love the, that bringing the clients in. And I think there's a huge opportunity there as well in terms of, I, I mean, if you imagine it's a, a manufacturing facility, for example, that um, bringing the clients in for those conversations, but combining that with, would you like to take a tour of our facility? This is where we make your product. And it it actually gives that that connection and uh, almost builds a fan and also um, if if they're good customers the, the people that come along to those kind of interviews or whatever you're calling the the session where they provide insights the 
they're the people that are likely to ask a lot of clever questions about why do you do it that way and and prompt some thinking around the internal processes as well that, that a business is prepared to reveal. And you know what I talked as well as don't just meet the senior people or take them around. So we done this big project for a shipping company and they were looking to do all these smart products, so the connected things, so like um obscure things like boiler water management where it could detect if the engine has enough salt and condition it and detecting rope snaps by putting sensors. So when you took them in a presentation to the senior people, they were very complimentary and thought it was very clever. You took them on board to some of the people with them in tow, and the first thing they're saying is, hold on, how is the Bluetooth going to work? And you're like, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, Bluetooth doesn't transmit when there's loads of steel. (laughs) We didn't know that, right? Embarrassing, right? Or, oh, you're going to put this sensor on a rope? What happens when it goes in the winch and snaps? Now, these were super early stage infant ideas. We hadn't invested a lot of time. But it was the kind of common sense stuff that you just wouldn't have got, or someone again sitting up at the rope. We've got 16 ropes in this. How long do you think it take us to install your little sensor and every one? Like, this is not going to fly, right? Whereas the management said, oh, safety is really important. Everyone will do it. They'll love this idea. So if you can get that 360 view of sometimes the user, the buyer, the, you know, there's different stakeholders is, mm. is, is invaluable and a lot of fun. Although a lot of your ideas do die. So that is, um, it can be a bit disheartening. Everyone says I'm doing it for years. Yeah, I guess um, in an example like that, though, you you can very quickly uh, pivot if if you're clever about it. Pivot to uh, by asking questions like, "Well, what is it that I'm trying to achieve, or that we are trying yeah. to achieve, and how else can we do that if there's these fatal flaws with this in in really implementing it?" So it's all about understanding those inputs from the different stakeholders and saying well we can save a lot of time by not experimenting with this particular way of implementing given that there's some fatal flaws here that we hadn't considered and then come up with the next iteration as a thought experiment first and, and save a lot of time in getting to the final solution. So the, the, the failure rate in innovation depends on the category and the type of innovation, but it's typically 80% plus. Hmm. Now, a lot of people say, well, how do we get that down? And what I say to them is, like, yeah, you can get a bit better, right? But there isn't really a way to reduce it. But what you can do is fail a lot earlier. So yeah. rather than trying to come up with one big idea, and most companies still try and do this, and the way they decide whatever they tell you is they get the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion. And they do this kind of Julius Caesar thing of thumbs up or down. Now it's dressed up in spreadsheets where they say, oh, we've done all the examination. But more often than not, oh, surprisingly, my favorite idea scores the highest and we've fed in all these unproven assumptions. So the far better way to do it is have multiple ideas, run these experiments as quickly and cheaply as possible, and yeah, most of them will fail, but you'll get much more robust results than remaining. You talked about thought, I call it thought land or thought experiments. That's when you see the sign of a bad innovation company. They've got very long PowerPoint with no evidence. Mm. I'm like, how do you know this will work? Well, we've run a survey, we've done this, we've done that for six months. You could have built something, right? No entrepreneur would ever approach an innovation in that way, right? It's, it's a really backward way of thinking. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, again, it's 
kind of the lean startup model in in spades, isn't it? It's a fail, have lots of ideas, test things out very quickly, fail quickly, and importantly, take the lessons from those failures and iterate, move on. Yeah. And I mean, one other thing I think people have to do more is to challenge some of these industry orthodoxes, right? So when we talk about innovation insight, I almost know for any company who they're going to target. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'll give you another example. And let's take out the most boring category imaginable, right? Washing powder. You work with any big company, they're targeting women, right? Mm. They're the head of the household. It's pink, it's lilac, it's summer meadow fragrance, it's all very feminine. And you say to them something like, well, what about men? And they're like, what do you mean? So in the UK, you've got about 13% of households are men, male only, so three and a half million. And you say, how would you design a product for them? And they just look almost baffled, right? And then you show them in the US, there's one called musk, and it's like this black thing that looks like a big vat of oil. It smells of musk and oak, right? Personally, I love it. I know it sounds really weird and pathetic. And you say, would you not want to design something for 13% of your customers? And, you know, I give that example and people say, well, that's just one silly one. But we work once in the tea market, again, about as mature and boring as it gets. And remember all those fruit teas hmm. that 10 years ago, they all started coming and it was elderflower this and chamomile that. They were all designed for middle class people with sophisticated taste profiles. I'm like, well, 30 to 40% of people are working class. Maybe they wanted a sweet tea that was black currant only and they didn't want to pay a premium. And so many examples. So just, again, when you're innovating, that's one of the first things I'll always ask is, well, how, who are the non-users, right? What do they want? Why are, why are they not using it? Who are the kind of neglected segments, right? Or who are some of the kind of like eccentrics, early adopters? And what you build for them is almost always different. So just an interesting lens to think about the world. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a, a really smart way to to approach that. It's, it kind of looks at the outliers in terms of um, how significant are the outliers in terms of potential market share, uh, potential opportunity, and why why is it that you know, such a big chunk of the potential market is actually not using our product or service. Um, that's the approach, isn't it? And I think you, you should look at what, there's a, a really famous quote I love from Andy Grove and he was the CEO at Intel and he said, snow always melts from the edges, right? So people are like, well, well how big is this share? So if you took Airbnb, how big is the couch stuff in the home share market? Almost zero, right? Hmm. If you spoke to anyone who'd experienced it in the early days, how high is their passion? 10 times higher than anyone stayed at some of the big chain hotels, hmm. right? So you kind of got to follow the buzz. Now, it's very hard to distinguish between what is a fad, right? So there is like, I don't know, the man bun, if you remember that when men had all their hair in the silly styles, right? That's a fad. And what is the start of a new movement? And that's when you're looking to do the more stretch innovation as we are looking to use your work for these kind of outliers. Sometimes it's these eccentrics um, as well. And there isn't always a good way without the experiments to distinguish between what is a bit crazy and weird and what is the next big thing. And also that just shifting perspective in that sense can also shed a new light or have people look in a different way at the conventional stuff. 
Yeah, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree more. Um, and, you know, be a little cynical as well, right? So we're all told if you work in a big, any company, right, that you respect customers and we, we should be customer first, meaning we just do whatever they say. But a lot of the time, there are so many what's called cognitive biases, and I absolutely love these. So, you know, one of them as an example was social desirability bias. And that just means we want people to think well of us. So if you take two publications, so... There's one called The Atlantic, very highbrow, intelligent newspaper. There's one called The National Enquirer. This is in the US. Trashy, celebrity gossip, you know, paparazzi. Both have the same circulation. And the National Enquirer, well, I'm sorry, they, um, the, the trashy one, National Enquirer, only 2% of the followers is The Atlantic and social media. So a lot of people lie about reading The Atlantic and a lot of people <laughs> don't lie about not reading The National Enquirer. Yeah. And I think when you're doing stuff with this innovation insight, don't just take people's word for it. Mm. So, you know, we were working in the healthcare sector and we wanted to introduce technology to automate some of the tasks and workflows that doctors do. And we said, look, what if we put technology that could, for example, um, type up your notes and send them offshore and do all this? And we were told, and the UK is very fiercely anti-private, no, you're putting lives at stake. We rely on the people that work there. We've got a very close relationship. And we said, okay, so can you name some of those people? When did you last speak to them? <laughs> they couldn't name any of them. And we went down and asked them. And they said, those those people, the consultants, never come here, right? We have no relationship. So, or, you know, and a, a fun example as well, I was with a couple doing a snacking project years ago. And we've all been conditioned to say we're being healthier. So they were saying the same we're on a health kick, we're going to the gym, we don't eat as many sweets or confectionery. We don't look super healthy to me. So do you mind if I go through your cupboards? And what's interesting, right, you take them, it's full of crisps, it's full of like you know chips, sugar, everything imaginable. But what was fascinating is the logic structure because they were saying, oh, well, we only eat those on cinema night, right? Or those are only for guests, or that's made with honey, which isn't, that that's natural, yeah, so it's yeah. okay. And those were the insights that gave the snacking company the break, right? So people's logic structure, I think, is really fascinating in their, their value system. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, interesting. Well, this is fascinating, Colin. I could go on talking innovation and particularly digging into some of those examples and the insights we can get from them for ages. But I think I'm, I'm aware of the time, so it's a good point now to move on to the buzz, which is our innovation round designed to give some snappy answers that'll inspire the listener to do something awesome as a result. So you all set? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so what's the number one thing anyone needs to do to be more innovative? Um, I think it's curiosity, right? It's just mm. challenging the most basic assumptions and asking why. So one quick example at Netflix, there was an engineer and he said, um, well, why do movies are released in the cinema? And everyone rolled their eyes and said, what a stupid question. And then they thought about it and said, well, why do they need to be released? And that's why they don't. So it's asking the obvious things that might make you look a bit silly is the best way to be a better innovator. Yeah, yeah, that's I love that. And um, it's easy to say curiosity, and I think curiosity is so important. But having the setting aside your ego and asking what seems like a stupid question or asking a question that, Internally, your internal dialogue might be saying, well, everybody else knows that. You know, you look really silly asking that. Um, that's that's an ability. And I remember I had one team member that 
did this in spades and, and she used to annoy the hell out of other people on the team. I'd say, no, no. And I'd always say, well, hey, Teresa, what do you think? Because <laughs> I know yeah. she would not be afraid to ask the question that everybody else is not going to ask. Yeah. And it's, you know, on a corally or related point, team diversity is so important. And I see some people saying, well, we are diverse, we've got every ethnicity. Mm. And you think, you all went to the same private school or similar, right? You all yeah. had studied finance, you've all worked here 20 years or in the same industry. There's very little diversity in this team in some senses, right? So that's, that's the only one. Mm. Excellent. All right. Well, what's the best thing you've done to develop new ideas, Colin? Best thing I've done to develop your ideas. Oh, it's a it's a tough one. Um, I think probably it's you know what it's actually taken from one context and just bringing something into another. So we're actually working on a deodorant project just now. I mentioned and been able to explore people that have got sensitive skin and it's been able to look and say right, well, who's doing interesting things in sensitivity? So that might be condom manufacturers, right? So that men don't have premature ejaculation. It might be um, there's some interesting things on the scalp, and it's looking at speaking to those people from adjacent categories or different areas and saying how have you solved this problem, and then seeing what we can apply from an R and D perspective. So we're working with scientists, but also from a marketing perspective as well, and even things like the packaging and really just trying to change the way. So very often, um, there's a, a really interesting example. There was a, a mine and they were struggling to extract some of the iron ore because it was such a complex series of bends and stuff. So they spoke to a roller coaster maker and said, right, how do we get this stuff out? So the problem's almost always been solved. It just might be in a different context. Different context and it's yeah. um, something called like a associative thinking or diagonal thinking. So bring someone from one realm and get them into to your area. Hmm. And it, it fits so well with the idea of diversity, isn't it? So it's kind of diversity of context in some ways. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's easy to do. I've honestly pinged so many people on LinkedIn and some said, oh, you'll never get somebody from that area. People are delighted to help. Most of our jobs, to be honest, are often quite boring. And it's yeah. not that often we get someone saying, hold on, can you just come in and talk to us? It's actually quite flattering. So Yeah, that's right. And people are, are generally keen to talk about their little pet baby right and and if somebody's then bringing that curiosity that we talked about a moment ago and and asking the questions well how does it work and why does it work that way and why do you do it this way and um yeah yeah it's social cachet you get to boast to your friends and yeah. say i just helped such and such company innovate this cool thing so mm. it's, yeah excellent all right well do you have a favorite resource you use most often um oh, so many i'm just trying to think what the, the the best for innovation that isn't obvious is um hmm. i think you know there's one called a bit boring but toolbox toolbox and what i love about that is as the name implies it was originally a pun it was i started as a joke by a friend of mine they've got all of these toolkits for areas like innovation service design problem solving all pre-packaged in powerpoint or pdf format so, so often you read something and think that's great and you forget or how do you use it. This site can download stuff and you can run with it in a meeting the next day. So that's a plug for yeah, their great site. Oh, okay. Well, I'll have to check that out. We'll have a link to that in the show notes, of course. Sounds fascinating. Now, we did touch on this a little bit in our conversation. It's kind of getting stakeholders on board for new ideas. But what's the best way? Once 
you get underway with an initiative? What's the best way to keep the client on track? Oh, that's a big question. We probably did another um, <laughs> another podcast for it. Um, but I'm a firm believer, and we've talked about the lean startup several times. And he said, I think something to paraphrase, like only the fastest survive. So I think you need to actually impose budgetary and time deadlines because if you were a startup, which is essentially what you are when you're trying to innovate, you shouldn't have six months or a year just to play around. You should be saying, right, we want stage appropriate progress on the proposition. So the customer side, on the money side and on the capability side and saying, look, give us a, say a month, I kind of might call a sprint. And this is what we'll deliver. So in the first instance, we might say, we've got some good quality of feedback and maybe we've got some um, size of the prize, top line, back of the fact packet numbers and a, a little sketch of the solution, right? Or spoke to a scientist or whatever. But then at the end of the month too, what is the next series of actual progress? And I'm not talking about let's build fantasy plans in Excel, which is what most people do. I'm talking mm. about can you show progress? And if you can't, the funding should stop. And it's really painful, but you need to put a rock under people. If you work in a big organization, I guarantee it's always, well, give us six months and all we maybe need six more and things just go on too long. So speed is the innovator's friend and scarcity. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I remember my days in the corporate world and we, we implemented uh, stage gate processes, which kind of work like that, but there's always this, like we had the stage meeting and there's, there was always this, well, give us another three months or so on. And I thought, well, you know, can't we make a decision now? It seems to me, often, often I was on meetings where I thought, it seems to me this project's dead and we need to pivot or take the resources and put them somewhere else. The, the zombie project, I'd yeah. say that's about 30%. And one other tip, so you mentioned stage gates, and this is my pet hate, is when people define the outputs rather than the outcomes. So, you know, you've got to have completed this document or done this. I'm like, no, give us something and give us as innovators because we hate prescriptive stuff. The flexibility, if we're going to demonstrate customers like something, there's lots of ways to do that. Don't tell us that you must run a survey or, you know, there might be a a better way. So you, you need to design your innovation process as thoughtfully because that is the most soul sucking things. I go in and so often see it's at 70 stages. Yeah. And I said, who can be bothered with that? Right. It's the opposite of innovation, it's bureaucracy. We need, um, to coin a phrase, humanocracy, right? It's about, <laughs> we need energy, we need, yeah. yeah. Yeah, love it. All right, well, finally, what's the number one thing anyone can do to differentiate themselves? Um, number one thing, you know, it's, it's, it's a really tough question because it, it, I guess it depends on the um, context. But I think just going back to an earlier point I made, it's not to just keep adding obvious features. It's to think more broadly. There's a great innovation methodology to check out called the 10 types of innovation. And it gives you 10 different um, levers for innovation. And there's a hundred tactics underneath. So if you're looking for it, the idea is that the more of those types and tactics you use, the more defensible and differentiated your offering will be. So it's not often when I say innovation, people jump to thinking about what can we do about process, right? Hmm. Or what can we do about channel? Is your business direct? Can it go indirect, right? Is it online? Can it go offline? Like those are just so many ways and this wonderful set of playing cards. So get a set of those playing cards, deal yourself a hand, and I guarantee you'll have some interesting ideas. I don't guarantee they'll be good, but they'll certainly be yeah, awful. Yeah. Yes, I love those tools that um, 
that really get you thinking along those different um, different prompts or different areas. Yeah. Wonderful. Thanks for getting us through the buzz round. And um, yeah, now how can people find out more about you and the work you do and also get in touch to say thanks for what you've shared so far today? Sure. So if it resonated with you, if you just Google Mosaic Innovation and if you go to the download section, there's a whole host of toolkits. So there's one on Innovation Insight, which is the biggest one. There is one on Creativity and Lean Startup. So if you want to get more stuff, and it's all stuff that you can actually apply yourself or if you want to get in touch with us, great. But yeah, we tried to make it actionable and open source it. Excellent. And of course, we'll have the link in the show notes for all of that. So... Um, yeah, what action would you like our listener to take out of our conversation today, Colin? I think the thing you need to be taking is set yourself as a minimum monthly doing some um, customer observation. So whether that's going in a shop along, or it's easier if it's you know consumers you can see friends and families, whether it's um, watching somebody use your product, or one that hardly anyone does, and I can't tell you how valuable this was, mystery shop so we were doing a big piece of the printed market business to business and this company said how good is our customer experience we said right we're going to buy a industrial printer from all of your competitors we're going to set it up we're going to use it for a couple of months and we're going to tell you side by side and the some areas they were good on some areas they were terrible so often the future is already here so steal with glee right and yeah. just like um that'd be a great one <laughs> excellent so yeah um, mystery shopping, but certainly having those interactions with customers and, and looking at how do things operate in different contexts. Yeah. So thanks so much for your time and your insights, Colin. Oh, it's I've, been a pleasure, Jurgen. Yeah, really I've really enjoyed, enjoyed our conversation today. Could have gone on for ages. And as you said, there are a couple of points there where it's probably a whole episode on that, that question alone. So. Yeah. Thanks again, and maybe we'll have another chat in a little while. Yeah, I'd love that. Thanks, Jorgen. I hope you enjoyed that engaging, insightful, and really informative conversation with Colin, and most importantly, took something away from his episode. What I'd like you to take away as an action, is to observe your customers. For example, if you have a shop, go and speak to them in the shop. Observe them using your product. Even do mystery shopping, as Colin suggested. And one of the things that I'm really keen on is to see people use their own products as a customer so they actually get to experience what customers experience. You be surprised at what you might learn. Colin's episode can be found at innovabiz.co forward slash Colin Duff. That is C-O-L-I-N-D-U-F-F. All lowercase, all one word, innovabiz.co forward slash Colin Duff. You'll also find contact information there for getting in touch with Colin, as well as links to the Mosaic Innovation website, to his social media pages, and the other resources we spoke about in our conversation. I'm so glad you've listened this far into the show, and I'm guessing you love this conversation. What's not to love about it? 
If you think of one other person who would find this really useful, then be brave enough. It's almost your duty to share this conversation with that one other person. They'll be forever grateful. Also, make sure to get the episode bookmark token at innovabiz.co forward slash bookmarks. For the cost of just a cup of coffee, you can have your very own permanent record of this show to go back to and listen to over and over again and get value from the amazing insights that Colin shared. Half of all the revenue from this episode token will go directly to Colin as guest and the other half goes towards supporting the show and keeping our lights on here. Think of it as a way to support Colin and tell him that you really loved his episode. Colin suggested we have a conversation with author and behavioural economist Dr. Patrick Fagan on a future InnovaBuzz podcast episode. So Patrick, keep an eye on your inbox for an invitation from us to the InnovaBuzz podcast, courtesy of Colin Duff. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a review on this episode. It will help us to make the podcast better for you. Simply go to lovethepodcast.com forward slash InnovaBuzz and pick your preferred platform. Remember to visit innovabiz.co forward slash Flywheel and secure your membership to the exclusive Flywheel Nation community where you'll enjoy direct access to our incredible podcast guests, engaging meaningful conversations and participate in connection events designed to elevate your business journey. Don't miss out. Join Flywheel Nation today. Tune in again to the next episodes of the Innova Buzz podcast where we've got yet more fantastic guests lined up. Until next time, I'm Jürgen Strauss from InnovaBiz. Remember, be awesome and keep innovating.